0: If you have access to a Bible, please open it uh, again uh, to the book of Titus, uh, chapter 2, that passage that we read earlier. Because of uh, of work and, and travel arrangements and things, I've not been able to, to worship with you together uh, quite as much as I would like to over the last month, so it's a great joy to be back again uh, tonight. Uh, earlier we read uh, the whole of Titus, chapter 2. I was mainly get the context around what we're going to focus in on uh, tonight uh, which is that paragraph uh, just at the end of the chapter verses 11 to 14. So having given instructions which touch upon all people in verses 1 to 10 Paul then has uh, this to say to a young pastor named Titus uh, on the island of Crete. Let's hear God's word uh, together again. Uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us uh, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are with us tonight by your Spirit. and We ask that uh, your Spirit would work in our hearts uh, to soften our hearts, to make us receptive to your Word, and that by your Spirit you would speak to each of us tonight. May we leave here seeing more of you um, and living lives which uh, bring more glory uh, to your name. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Today's date is uh, the 19th of June. As well as this week experiencing the summer solstice, the longest day of the year, despite what Andy said this morning about today feeling like Christmas Day, it's actually as far away from Christmas as you can be all year. It's been six months since Christmas and it's six months to Christmas again. So, I wonder if I can challenge you tonight to think in your mind's eye of old uh, miserly Ebenezer Scrooge and uh, Tiny Tim and Jacob Marley. Yes, I'm talking about a Christmas carol. You know how the story goes, you know it well, I'm sure. Um, Ebenezer Scrooge is taken on a journey uh, through time. Uh, by three different ghosts there's the ghost of Christmas past present and yet to come and through this journey Scrooge is a changed man so he goes from hoarding all of his money to himself to giving vast amounts of money to charity and of course he buys a big turkey uh, for tiny Tim doesn't he So where am I going with all this? Uh, It's probably the warmest day of the year, uh, and I'm getting a chill just thinking about it. Um, Well, as odd as it might sound, I think there's a connection between uh, Charles Dickens' famous uh, Christmas story and the passage that we've read tonight. I think from both of these, we can see that what has happened in the past and what will happen in the future can have a real impact on what happens in the present so that's what we're going to look at tonight that's our two points this evening how the past and how the future impact the present so look down at me with me at the first two verses of this paragraph verses 11 and 12 what has happened in the past God's grace has appeared that's the first point God's grace has appeared. That's a word we hear uh, all the time in church circles, isn't it? That word, grace. And I wonder what's, what's going through your mind uh, whenever you hear that word. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's amazing grace, uh, that, that hymn that so many of us love. Maybe it's, uh, it's grace upon grace. Or maybe you're thinking of uh, that's the spelling of it that you maybe learned as a child, God's riches at Christ's expense. And these are all right and, and proper. I, I like this uh, definition that I read this week. There are countless, but I like this one. God's grace is, listen, his active favor giving the greatest gift to those who deserve greatest punishment. God's grace is his active favor giving the greatest gift to those who deserve greatest punishment. Isn't that something? But what what is this grace? What is this act of favor uh, that Paul's talking about? I'm sure you maybe know the answer already. Uh, it's, It's Jesus Christ, of course. Jesus Christ is the manifestation of God's grace, of his act of favor. Jesus Christ is God's greatest gift to us. But you you might say, hold on Chris, Jesus' name isn't even mentioned in these first couple of verses. How can you know that's what Paul means? Well, Titus is part of a group of letters in the Old Testament. And together with the 1st and 2nd Timothy, they make up a group called the Pastoral Epistles. They're Paul's letters to young ministers in the early church. So please just turn back just a couple of pages in your Bible, t- to 2 Timothy, chapter 1. Second Timothy, chapter 1, um, and we'll read uh, verse 9 and 10. Uh, it's talking about uh, the power of God in the gospel, the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, uh, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus. God's grace has been made manifest through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus. Turn back to to Titus now. So God's grace has appeared and it's appeared in Christ Jesus. But, But what has it actually done? What does it actually mean Uh, for us. Well, I think if we read on in this chapter, we'll find that it primarily means two things. Um, I don't know about you, but I've found that lots of people I meet in their families, there's usually someone who is a bit more exciting uh, than the rest of the family, and they've maybe moved away or gone to Australia or or America or something. Um, It's always very exciting whenever they, they come back and visit. And they, they tell their stories and, and, you know, they talk about the food or the, the country that they're from. And, and I know for myself growing up, we, we had a relative that did that. And it was always great to see them. You know, it was always great to hear their stories. But what I was interested in was, was the suitcase that they brought with them. And what was in the suitcase for me? The goodies, the sweeties uh, that they brought with them. And I wonder if you see what I'm getting at when you look at this Paragraph. For Paul, it's amazing enough that Christ has appeared, but he's also brought something with him. Do you see it? He has brought salvation. That's the first thing Christ's appearing has done, is brought salvation. We'll consider later on how that salvation has been brought. But do you notice who this salvation is for? Look at verse 11. It tells us here it's salvation for all people. We've read that already tonight, haven't we? That's why I wanted to read the whole of chapter 2 before focusing on these last few verses. Just scan down, just scan your eyes through verses 1 to 10. Look at all the different people who are mentioned here. The old and the young, and men, and women, and slaves, and free people. No one is left out of the salvation that is brought by Christ's appearing. If you're in this room this evening, or if you're watching on at home, let me assure you of the very clear teaching of Scripture. God's saving grace is available to you, No exceptions. No one is missing from the category of all people. There are no exclusion criteria in this offer if you will receive it by faith. I said earlier that the appearing of God's grace has done two things. That's the first thing. It has brought salvation. The second thing that God's grace is doing is training us and how to live. That's verse 12. God's grace has brought salvation, and God's grace is also training us. Now, when I hear training, I think of a cold, wet football pitch or a hockey pitch under floodlights with a screaming coach doing rigorous drills. But that's, that's not what Paul has in mind here. Really, the word is, is more akin to a, a parent training up a child. And you can picture that. I'm sure uh, a parent or a grandparent holding up the arms of a toddler through the kitchen or through the the garden maybe. Because although Christ has appeared, he is no longer with us in the flesh. But he's not left us to stumble along alone. He has given us his Holy Spirit God's training, therefore, is his Holy Spirit gently leading and guiding his children in the way that he wants us to live. Because training, or at least the best training, it always has one eye on the final goal, you know, the big cup final, or the piano recital, or in this case, it's how to live in the present age. Isn't that what the end of verse 12 says? Did you notice that term? that The present age? Paul is keen to show. That the appearing of God's grace. Matters. For how they live. From day to day. So what was that present age? What was it like? Well. We actually get a bit of a clue. Earlier in the letter. If you just look at chapter 1. and verse 12. We get a bit of a clue of what life was like in Crete. Chapter 1, verse 12. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. It's quite the TripAdvisor review for a holiday to Crete, isn't it? But it gives us an insight into life on the island uh, at that time. So it begs the question then for the first hearers of this letter, in a world of lies, a world of evil and and gluttony, how then should they live uh, as Christians? Well, if you look at verse 12, you'll see that there's there's two sides to this God-given training program. There's a renouncing of some things, and there's an embracing of other things. So first they're to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Ungodliness here is it's really to do with, with false religion, uh, false teaching. And the worldly passions, well, it's more about daily living. Um, really, if you just glance down at verse, or chapter 3, it's the things that he lists there in, in verse 3 of chapter 3. Foolish, disobedient, enslaved to passion, envious, filled with hate. God's word tells us that these things are to be renounced. They're to be utterly rejected by God's people. But as one uh, commentator has said, the Christian faith is not made up of negatives only. There must be a doing of good as well as a rejecting of evil. So as well as renouncing these things on one hand, the Christians in Crete, uh, they're instructed to embrace uh, they're to embrace three different ways of living. To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Time doesn't uh, permit a full exploration of uh, these three areas. Really, in brief, they relate to the three main relational aspects of our lives, if you can get that. Ourselves, others, and God. Controlled in ourselves, upright in our lives around others, and godly uh, in our faith. So, what about uh, what about you uh, tonight? How will uh, how will you live in this present age? How should I live in this present age? Really, I think uh, you'll agree that the the challenges that the Church in Crete faced. We see them in our age as well. World of lies and, and evil and laziness and gluttony. We see these around us. So in a world of lies and lying, we must be determined to, to tell the truth. Even if that means a, a cut in our profits at work or, or a difficult conversation with a, with a family member. In a world of evil... We ought to be people who strive for what is good. We need to give uh, our time to to the ministries of the church or or we can donate our money uh, to works of mercy. We can pray for those who are are trampled down and and oppressed by by the society that we live in. And in a world full of laziness and and gluttony, you can be proactive in, in, in limiting your screen time, maybe you can control your spending uh, or you, you can share with what you have uh, with those around you because brothers and sisters uh, tonight god's grace has appeared and it should change us because it has brought salvation and it is training us in right living in this present age so we've seen what's happened in the past so let's look to the future And now for our second point. We've seen that God's grace has appeared. Now let's consider that God's glory will appear. That's verses thirteen and fourteen. God's glory will appear. Let me ask you a question. Uh, Are you good at waiting? Or or maybe a, a better question is what do you do while you're waiting? For something. So maybe you're in the queue at the supermarket or you're sitting at the bus stop uh, or you're a bit early for your for your coffee date or whatever. Maybe you're maybe you're someone that's very uh, proactive and organised and you've got a book in your bag and you're you're sitting reading your book. But I suspect if you're like me, you start to get the, the itch and you reach into your pocket and you take out your phone and you just start to scroll for a while. Um, because I think really none of us are very good at waiting. We don't like waiting. But whether you like it or not, waiting is a part of, of living. It's a part of life. And really, God's word tells us this evening, it's not just a part of living. It's actually a part of, of Christian living. Look at your Bible with me, please, at verse 13. Verse 13, it really, it really flows out of verse 12. As we live our Christian life in this present age, at the same time, we are also waiting. Because whether you you realize it or not uh, tonight, dear Christian, you you are waiting for something. Or I suppose more correctly, you're waiting for for someone. You see, we thought about how God's grace has appeared uh, in the past. But if you look now at verse 13, it tells us there is another appearing, a second appearing. It's the appearing of, what does it say in verse 13? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And there's so many things we could talk about when we think about the second appearing or the second coming, as maybe you know it, uh, of our Lord Jesus. There's always the question of, of when timing. Uh, we're not going to get into that tonight. There's a question of maybe what that would look like, what the day itself will look like. But, but really, I want to focus on what Paul calls that day in this verse. How does Paul describe it at the start of verse 13? He calls it our blessed hope. Our blessed hope. It's lovely, isn't it? It's a lovely term, It's full of uh, expectation and and anticipation. But at the same time, it's also full of contentment and, and rest. But why can Paul call it that? Why can he say blessed hope when elsewhere in the scripture it's called the great and terrible day of the Lord or the day of judgment? Well, I think... Paul can call it uh, our blessed hope because of two things mainly. He knows who's coming and he knows what that person has done before. Look at the language uh, used to describe who is coming. It is the glory of our great God. Paul can say it is our God, the God who has joined himself with his people. He is our god and he is our savior too that's the other word he uses he is the one who has made a way for us to be saved to be saved from the punishment that we rightly deserve for our sins you see our god and our savior is jesus christ the one we read about in the bible Christians can, can call the second coming our, our blessed hope because we know who's coming, but, but we also know what he's done. Look at verse 14 uh, with me, please. Our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, is the one who has done, he's done what? He has given himself for us to redeem us. Redeem and, and, and redemption, not really words that we use today are they i mean another word you might read there in your bible is is the word ransom either way these words invoke thoughts in our mind of of captivity and freedom uh, a price to be paid or or a debt that needs are raised it might help to consider what we've been redeemed from look at the passage it says who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness God has given a law. He has given a way that He wants people to live. And all of us here tonight, and everyone outside as well, we've all failed to live up to that law. We've all broken that law. And the Bible calls it sin. Here's a question you might be familiar with from our, our shorter catechism What is sin? Sin is what? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. We've all sinned. We've all broken God's law. We're all lawless. When the law is is broken, a price has to be paid. Uh, A punishment is due. And the Bible teaches clearly that no one can pay off that debt on their own in this life. And if you die and that debt has not been paid, you will be punished for all eternity in a place that the Bible calls hell. That is, that's the reality tonight. But let's not forget what we're, what we're reading in front of us. There is someone who has taken that punishment On our behalf. It is our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. He gave himself nothing less than himself to redeem us when he died for our sins on the cross. You see, dear friend, tonight, if you trust in Jesus Christ and believe in him as your God and saviour, you're you're no longer under the penalty of the law. You're freed from all lawlessness and the punishment that you deserve. But it gets better than that. Because the promise of this passage, it's not just redemption from lawlessness, but do you see it there? In verse 14, the promise is that we are purified as well. See, Jesus has died for us. And not only has he, in the negative sense, taken our punishment on himself but he has also in the positive sense given us his righteousness he's given us his purity i remember being on holidays uh recently in one of these uh hotels with a with an all-you-can-eat breakfast buffet and uh in the morning you know you go a bit daft and you, you straddle up and you get your your croissant, but you get your cooked breakfast and your fruit and your, your coffee and your juice, you get everything. And I'd gathered up my plate and I sat down and I took a sip of my juice and it was diluting juice. It was Robinson's for breakfast. Maybe I'm weird, but it just, it just didn't seem right to me to have diluting juice for breakfast. What I wanted, you can see where I'm going with this, I wanted. The pure orange juice, 100% pure orange juice, bits and all. And dear Christian, tonight, joking aside, I want you to know that our purity, our righteousness, it's not like Ribena, where God gives you a few drops of holiness and then you make up the rest of it yourself. Our righteousness, our purity, is 100 percent christ's doing it's 100 percent his righteousness that makes us pure and you see we're not just made pure uh, for the sake of nothing we're made pure for a purpose to become his his own possession he redeems us individuals from all different backgrounds all people From our lawlessness, he purifies us to himself. And us who were individuals, he calls to himself to make a whole people for his possession. Formerly, Israel had been God's particular people, but with the coming of Christ, this has expanded and it embraces all people from all tribes, all tongues, and nations, so that now the church is a people for God's own possession. And just as Israel was to be a people zealous for the law, so too now the church are to be zealous for good works. That's the end of verse 14. Christ has taken us who were lawless, and he has made us a people who love his law. The applications of this are are vast and and broad, um, but maybe if I could just apply it to those Here, who are uh, are school age and are coming into your summer holidays. Um, What does it look like to be zealous for God's law over the summer holidays? Let me suggest a couple of things. I think importantly and perhaps most difficult, it looks like honoring your parents and maybe uh, helping with the cooking, doing the chores. Looks like Spending time reading the Bible, maybe on your own, uh, maybe with friends, uh, or maybe with your parents. I promise you that if you asked your parents to read the Bible with you, it would be their greatest joy. And lastly, I think it looks like telling your friends about Jesus and what he means to you. Do you think that's something you could try this summer? We as a church can be praying for you uh, that you do, so as we close, do you see really how we 've come full circle? We looked at what christ 's first appearing means for us today and now what christ 's second appearing means for us today, and we see really that, that both of them mean assurance of salvation, but also direction. And how we should live our lives in this present age. So my question to you tonight. Are you living in light of these appearances? We ought to be a people who uh, are looking back upon what has happened. But also looking ahead to what's still to come. All the while looking around us. Seeing a world uh, that sorely needs uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. pray thank you Father that that Christ has given himself to redeem us from all lawlessness we're sorry uh, that we so often reject that blessing and go our own way and we ask Father that you would help us by your spirit to live uh, that life that is self controlled and upright and and godly in your sight not for our uh, glory father but that your name uh, may be glorified in this world and we pray it in Christ's name amen thank you chris